that, I thought, that's the nature of life, isn't it? That's the nature of life and faith and the point at which they intersect. Because we all have our canyons, and the descent down into that canyon is fairly easy. That canyon might be doubt. It might be discouragement. It might be distractions that are pulling you away from from God and God's word and spending time with God in prayer and God's will for your life. We all have our canyons. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's grief and loss. Maybe it's family struggles. Maybe it's just worldly thinking, thinking that does not represent the kingdom of God that was revealed in and by Jesus. We all have those canyons, and to go down into those canyons, it's fairly easy. You just let your feelings or the forces of the world, of culture, do what they do, and you just go along for the ride. It's coming out of that canyon that's difficult. It's getting back up on your feet that's often tough. That's one of the things we notice about Jonah. His path away from God was a downward descent marked by his own pride, by his own defiance, by his own stubbornness. He refused to answer the call of God and he said, I want to do what I want to do. You see, he let that voice in his head do what that voice always does, speaks on behalf of self. He just went along for the ride. And the text tells us in chapter 1 that he went down to Joppa, verse 3. His downward descent continued as he found a ship. And the text says he went below deck. He got even lower, verse 5. Finally, as he cast off into the open waters and the storm came up, the sailors had to do something. They were desperate. They ended up throwing him overboard down into the sea. Verse 15, you see this downward descent by Jonah, away from God, away from God's will on his life, God's calling on his life. And finally, finally God intervenes, and he does so in the most remarkable of ways. Imagine for yourself, imagine for yourself right now, just in this moment, I'm sure you've probably heard the story of Jonah before, maybe you haven't, And I'm excited for you if you haven't, but probably many of us have. But just imagine for a moment, this is the first time you're hearing the story. Jonah has disobeyed God. He's tried to run away from God. He's done this downward descent down into the canyon, away from God and God's call on his life. And notice what happens in verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Imagine hearing that for the very first time. Like, what? What just happened? God did what? And, and by the way, how did God orchestrate this? Did he talk to the fish? Did he just divinely direct the big fish? I, I'm so curious how that went down. Hey, fish, I got a job for you. Jonah ends up in the belly of this big fish. And this, of course, is the part of the story that most people know. Even people who aren't believers know this part of the story. This detail about Jonah being in the belly of the big fish for three days and three nights, it's not accidental. And it's not insignificant. 
In fact, it would be a foreshadow of what would happen to Jesus, who would not be in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, but he would be in the belly of the earth. He would be buried. He would be in the tomb for three days and three nights. Jesus even mentions Jonah's story. This part of Jonah's story, it is the sign of Jonah. In Matthew's gospel, some of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, they're watching Jesus do these miracles, and they're scratching their heads thinking, hmm, how does he do this? And they're hearing him teach with what seems like authority, hmm, how does he know to say these things? But they're still not convinced because their picture of the Messiah is much different than the one in front of them. And so they ask for a sign. We need something tangible. We need something visible so that we know you are from God. Had they truly been looking for a sign, they would have looked at all those miracles and heard all of those teachings and they would have said, yes, you are. But as part of their stall tactic, part of backing Jesus into a corner. They say, we need a sign. Give us a sign. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, chapter 12, verse 39. Jesus answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus says, do you remember that story? The story of Jonah. It's in everyone's collective memory. Why would we not remember that? We teach our children. It's in VBS. Everyone knows the story of Jonah. And Jesus says, that's happening again. But this time, it's not a fish. And it's not just a prophet. It's something so much bigger. So much greater. It is significant. And some people read this text and they're like, wait a second, he says three days and three nights. And we get hung up on a literal reading of what Jesus is saying. How many times has the interpretation of the word day got us in trouble when we go to the text? (laughs) As we look at this and we think, now wait a second, Jesus was crucified on Friday evening, he was resurrected on Sunday morning, how could it be three days and three nights? And we take our Western perspective and we try to apply it to this text, forgetting that this, first of all, is written in a Jewish context, knowing how they marked time differently. And we need to consider their response. If this was an issue, if this was an issue, then that Jesus wasn't technically in the tomb for three nights, then his opponents enemies of Jesus would have pointed this out but in fact just the opposite happens later in Matthew's gospel in chapter 27 some of these religious leaders after Jesus has been crucified they go to King Herod and they say listen we heard him say that he was going to be raised on the third day and so we need to put guards at the tomb so that his guys don't come get his body out of there and then claim oh look he raised back to life But notice they say, we heard him say he would be raised on the third day. And here they heard him say three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. If there was some contradiction there, they would have pointed it out. They would have said, 
hey, this guy, he, he's a phony because he can't even do simple math. He's saying one thing here, he's saying another thing here. That didn't even cross their mind. That wasn't even on their radar because it made sense to them. Their concern was Jesus. And the whole point of Jonah and his story and what God was doing, and certainly the point of what Jesus was saying using the sign of Jonah, was that something marvelous, something incredible, something miraculous was happening. That's the whole point. There was going to be a resurrection. There was going to be a rising, an ascent that followed the descent. It was true for Jesus. It was true for Jonah. It can be true for you. And as we go to the text and we see what Jonah does from inside the belly of this big fish, we are privileged to witness this transformation unfold. We get to see the heart and the mind of this prophet change because he has hit rock bottom. You see, from inside the belly of this big fish, Jonah gains perspective. And he cries out to God and he offers this prayer to God. Now, if you were in Bible class this morning, you probably studied one of the prayers of the Bible. Here's another one, Jonah's prayer from inside the belly of this fish. And as we read this prayer, it's kind of long, but I'm going to read the whole thing because I want you to, to capture it. I want you to get a feel for it. And here's what I want you to listen for. Listen for the movement in the text in this prayer. As Jonah describes his life, his life and what happened to him, what he has done, and now what God is doing. See if you can hear sort of the movement of what's happening. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called out to the Lord, so he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me all your waves and breakers swept over me I said I have been banished from your sight yet I will look again toward your holy temple the engulfing waters threatened me the deep surrounded me seaweed wrapped around my head to the roots of the mountains I sank down the earth beneath me barred me in forever but you Lord my God brought my life up up from the pit when my life was ebbing away I remembered you Lord and my prayer rose up to you to your holy temple those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them remember love lifted me but I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good I will say salvation comes from the Lord verse 10 and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land our second reference to throwing up today in sermon <laughs> what's happening here with God's help Jonah is beginning his ascent his climb out of the canyon his deliverance from the pit back to God it's his own resurrection of sorts that comes after his burial. From the depths, Jonah cries out to God. 
And God raises him up. Specifically, God causes the fish to (laughs) extract him onto the dry land to begin his journey back to God. And this would be the turning point for Jonah. Now, if you know the rest of the story, you know Jonah has his ups and downs like all of us do, but this is the turning point. This moment from inside the fish would change the trajectory of his life, of his calling. And it reminds me that sometimes we need to hit rock bottom, don't we? Sometimes we need to hit rock bottom for real change to happen. It sounds cliche, and I wish it wasn't that way, but so often it is. But it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be that way. Your marriage shouldn't have to be on the brink of destruction or divorce for you to finally say, this is bigger than us. We need help. We got to make some changes. We need to talk to someone. Your faith doesn't have to crumble apart under the weight of doubt and skepticism as you struggle alone with what do I believe? Is there a God? What am I supposed to do? And your life doesn't have to be consumed by the things of this world dragging you away from God so far away that you look back and see how far you've come and you say it's too far to go back I don't even know how to go back I don't even know where I'm going back to and your grief doesn't have to be so overwhelming that the dark cloud of loss and suffering just takes the wind the breath right out of you that you have no hope and no peace before you say something, before you reach out. And your sin and your struggle with sin doesn't have to consume you and paralyze you spiritually and silence your witness to the world that desperately needs to see and hear Jesus in you before you say, this is bigger than me. I need to make some changes. But so often it does. So often we have to hit rock bottom. And then so many times, once we hit rock bottom, we don't recognize that. And what do we do? We look everywhere for a shovel so that we can keep digging. So how do you get out? How do you recognize the descent that you're on, the downward spiral, plant your foot on solid ground, pivot, and begin your ascent? Remember, hiking down the canyon, that's easy. You just go with the flow. You just sort of hang on. You let gravity do its thing. You let your feelings do what your feelings do. You let the culture do what it does, and you just sort of hang on and go along for the ride. You see, going up, going back to God, that can be difficult. But it's always worth it. It's always worth it. And I think Jonah's story reminds us of where it starts. It starts with two things, perspective and prayer. Perspective and prayer. That's where the journey back starts. You see, first, you must take an honest look at where you are, at where you've been, at where you're headed. As we said in the very first message in this series, that the move away from God is usually, not always, but usually a gradual slope. Just sort of a subtle move downward from God. 
where many times you don't even recognize it. You, you don't even sense it. Despite the warning signs, there are warning signs everywhere, despite people around you expressing concern, you dismiss that concern, you rationalize it, you make excuses. It's just a slow, gradual slope. You see, we need to gain perspective, which means we need to open our eyes. We need to see where we are, where we've come from, where we are headed if we stay on this path. And notice, that's what Jonah does. Look back at this verse in his prayer, verse 4. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. He says, God, I feel apart from you when I come up for air and I look around I see I have removed myself now obviously God can still see him God can see all of us that was Jonah's way of expressing it is I it is me I have I have moved away from you so far away from you that you can't see me he says I'm going to open my eyes and when I do I'm going to gain some perspective because I am going to look at your temple at your dwelling place where God meets humankind the intersection of the divine and the mundane, the mercy seat of God where God's love is shown for his people. Jonah says, I'm going to look beyond my circumstances, beyond my excuses, beyond my desires, and gaze upon the presence, the holiness, the sovereignty of God. Jonah gains perspective. He opens his eyes. We must do the same. Getting out of the pit starts with seeing and accepting where you are. That it's not where you want to be. That it's not where God wants you to be. That's where confession starts, is understanding that there's a need to confess. But perspective only gets you so far. Jonah was powerless to change his circumstances, wasn't he? I mean, what could he do? Remember, where was he? He was inside this fish. <laughs> he had no power. He could not change anything. I mean, is he going to knock on the stomach wall of the fish? Hey, I've learned my lesson. Let's do something different now. He was powerless. And it took that sense of being without power to finally get him to do what? To call on God. To pray to yield, to submit. He recognized that the only power that could change his life, his circumstances, that could change anything was the power of God. And so he calls on God, verse 2, in my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry. When you finally realize you need deliverance, from controlling sin, from a constant struggle, from paralyzing doubt, from overwhelming grief, from crisis, from confusion, from the chaos of the world, or your life, or your job, or your financial situation, when you finally realize you need deliverance, you must also realize that deliverance comes only from the great deliverer the one and only who has the power to lift you up to truly change your life. Listen to the words of the psalmist in Psalm 86. We began our worship today in Psalm 86. The psalmist says, I will praise you. 
Lord my God, with all my heart, I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. And how does Jonah conclude his prayer? Do you remember? If you have it open in front of you, look back. It's not on the screen. Look back at verse 9. Salvation comes from the Lord. He finally declares that the only one who can save him is the one who called him. Salvation comes from the Lord. This morning, don't wait until you hit rock bottom. That's the temptation to keep going, to just go along for the ride, to see where it takes you. Or maybe you don't know what to do. You don't know how to turn around. Maybe today you find yourself at rock bottom. If you're there, it's time. If you're on your way there, it's time. Look for an intervention from God. Maybe God is sending a big fish to you. What is your big fish moment? Maybe it's this text, this message, this day, a conversation that will ensue today or this week. Maybe it's a prayer. Maybe it's time alone with God. Maybe it's confession. What is your big fish moment? The moment that causes you to open your eyes and gain perspective on where you are, on where you've come from, on where you are headed. Maybe it's your big fish moment that causes you to call out to God, the only one who can deliver you, the only one who can lift you up. Don't let that moment go by. Many of you probably remember the story back in 2010 of the miners in Chile who were trapped 2,000 feet below the surface for over two months as a canal collapsed in this mine. There was a book written, probably several books written, but one was called Deep Down Dark. And in this book, Hector Tobar tells the story of the 33 miners who had lived in the dark for 69 days, wondering if they would ever see the light of day again, wondering if they would ever see their families again. Many of the miners were obviously face to face with imminent death they knew where this was headed and they quickly gained perspective they started thinking about their lives and their families and their relationships and their friendships and the regrets that they had and in this book the author tells a story about one of the miners knew jose was a christian and so some of the miners approached jose and said we know you're a christian will you pray for us he said, sure. Jose got down on his knees and he began to pray. And he said, Lord, we aren't the best men. Very honest. Lord, we aren't the best men, but Lord, have pity on us. And then Jose even got more specific and he began <laughs> to confess the failings of himself and the people, the other miners around him. And he started talking about Victor and his drinking problem and Hector and how he had been talking over the last day or two about how poor of a father he was to his daughter and about how Miguel let anger get the best of him. 
And he continued to confess very specific sins to God in this collective prayer. And no one stopped him. In fact, they just joined with him in praying. Here's what the author writes about that experience. He says, it was the beginning of something special. In the deep, down, dark, buried under the earth with the death with their death staring them in the face, these men got real before God and each other. Why does it take us being buried 2,000 feet below the surface for us to get real before God and each other? Why does it take us to hit rock bottom before we finally look up and say, I need help? While this was happening below the surface, above the surface, as you can imagine, or maybe you remember from the stories, workers, rescue workers, some of the brightest minds there and around the world were trying to think. They were brainstorming, how can we get these guys out of there? And they came up with a plan and they had to bring in this specialized drill and it took some time to get it there. And they had a, a bit break and they had to do some work and there was setbacks along the way. But after 69 days, finally, they were able to rescue all 33 of these miners and bring them to the surface. Their story is our story. Their story is Jonah's story. It took being down there at rock bottom for them to gain perspective, for them to get real with God and each other, for them to call out for help. And why were they able to get rescued? Because they were such good guys? Because they put their brains to it and found a way to climb out? Nope. Why were they rescued? Because someone else came down to get them. That's our story. That's us. Nothing you can do can save you. But we have one who has come down to rescue us. How did Jonah end his prayer? Salvation is from the Lord. And it can be yours today. Receive it, embrace it with gratitude and joy. If you have not put Christ on in baptism, do that today. Begin those conversations today with people you trust. Or if we can help you today, as you rely on God to bring you out, to lift you up, let us do that. A couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor. It's a little room right behind me. They would love to visit with you and pray for you if they could help you in some way. Of course, we as a church family would do the same. If there's something we can help you with today, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. Let's stand together. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee, I need thee every hour, stay thou nearby.
lose their power when thou art nigh. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. I need thee every hour, most holy one. Oh, make me thine indeed, thou blessed Son. I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to Shall we pray? Hey, Father, we just want to thank you for this day you've given us, and thank you for allowing us to come here and worship and commune with other Christians today. And Lord, just help us to hold on to you and help us to not hit rock bottom before we put our faith back into you. And help us to give you the glory and the praise that you deserve every day, Lord. And Lord, just ask you to be with our middle schoolers and the sponsors this week as they go out and serve this community and watch over them and help them do a good work. And Lord, just continue to bless all of us and just uh, be with those that are not with us today and help them be able to return soon. And Lord, just forgive us for all our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. What a service. Lots going on at our congregation. Um, we talked a bit about next week being Commission Sunday and all the great work that's going on around the world um, based on what God's doing. Uh, I get the pleasure this morning of announcing some things we're doing right here at home. Uh, the, the shepherds, as we continually pray over this church and seek new opportunities or, or ways to better serve the needs of this congregation, uh, have come up with three areas that we've wanted to devote more attention to, more focus to. First is our families, including our singles and our young adults, uh, lifeblood of our church, and our youth, numbers at an all-time high. Uh, I did that this morning at first service, and no one was there, but there's, there's people there, everybody. And then uh, finally, uh, providing more support for the, uh, for the, the mental health needs of our congregation. Um, to address this, uh, we've developed a three-phase plan that I'm excited to uh, bring to you this morning. First is uh, Jeremy Robertson uh, will be transitioning into our full-time family minister. We're excited about what Jeremy and Ashley will, will be able to do in that role full-time. Uh, he's been splitting time between family life and, and youth for a while, and uh, with this move, that'll provide more dedicated support to expand what we're already doing within our family ministry. Uh, second.